Hey everyone, this is Josh, and you are listening to Life on Side B, where we explore the joy and beauty and challenges of living in the traditional sexual ethic as LGBT plus and same-sex attracted Christians. Uh, before we get into the episode today, I just have a few really quick announcements I would like to share with you all. First of all, I want to remind you all to go ahead and register for the first ever Bee Chats that we're going to be holding on November 14th, which is a Saturday. The Bee Chats is a virtual all-day event where we will be taking real issues that have been discussed here on the podcast that affect the lives of Side B LGBT plus Christians. This is going to be a really cool way that we are going to finish out the season this year and it is not simply a place to listen but to participate in the conversation and we would really love you there so go ahead to lifeonsidebe.com and a pop-up will appear to give you the link to where to register or you can go to any of our social media and get the link there second announcement is if you love this podcast and you want more we have a monthly bonus episode that we publish on our Patreon page. So if you love this podcast, want to support us and hear more, go over to patreon.com slash lifeinsidebb, sign up, and we will see you there. And with that, we will head into the episode for today. All right. Hello, everyone. We are back again, and for the second week in a row, we are joined with Grant Hartley. Hi. Hello. Two weeks in a row. We Two weeks. People are going to get sick of me. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that one. Uh, well. <laughs> no. We, but last, the last episode went good, didn't it? Yeah. I, I was really excited about that conversation. I think I think it went really well, and I talked with... Peter afterward and he thought it went really well too. It was a fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it went well. I was pleased. I was pleased with how it, how it ended up. And y'all, we are joined today by someone very special to me as a podcaster, <laughs> the one, the only Lori Creek. Hey, Lori. Hey, hey guys. <gasps> so glad to Hi. be with you today. Hey. I'm so glad to have you on. I have been listening to your podcast for quite a bit of time now. So, oh, thanks. We that's... love doing it, which I hope is evident from the exuberance you hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long have you guys been doing your podcast for? We started in the fall of 2017. I thought we'd do like 10 episodes and be like, well, that was fun. And here we are, like 140 <laughs> in or something like that. Oh, and wow. Growing and building yeah. and it's just super fun it's literally the highlight of my week besides i mean mm -hmm. it's, i like i like my husband i like going on dates with him <laughs> and my family but besides that besides that i love the um, kids are cool it. but really I mean, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just true i just love it yeah were you like was it something that you were approached to do or did you get the idea like how did that come about Right. So I studied journalism in college and um, was mm. a newspaper reporter after graduating. And um, so I've always loved interviewing people. I'm really curious and I am a four on the Enneagram. And so I'm ready <gasps> oh. to go deep at any second. Um, <laughs> so it's such a great uh, conglomeration. And I did radio work for like 11 years. But the idea, it honestly it sounds stupid or maybe sounds perfect to y'all, but it, it was like a word from God. I just kept hearing the yeah. word podcast for like a year. And I was like, that is dumb. I don't know how to do one. So no. <laughs> and so I kept hearing it. And then I just started asking questions. And my friend Steve works at a radio station. He had a sweet setup. And so we just started winging it, which those first episodes, you sure hear the winging. You sure do. <laughs> Um, but then we get to a point of, um, finding more and more of our stride and we're just, we keep trying to grow and learn more how to do it well, which you guys get that. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The first few episodes I was a part of, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, everyone <laughs> knows I'm such a noob. I think it was like episode four or so, uh, maybe a little earlier where I was like, ah, finally, I think I know what I'm doing. So, yeah. 
It yeah, took me about 40. So bless you. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's my feeling, Lori. Now this is, we're getting close to my 40th episode on this thing. And I'm like, I feel like I'm now getting it because I totally relate to what you were talking about with, um, kind of having that feeling of being called to it. And then like, I still remember one moment when I was trying to work the equipment and get it to record. I'm like, I am done. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That guttural technology yell. I feel you. Oh, it was, it was so difficult. Cause I also kept trying to reach out to people. Like, does anyone know sound equipment? No, they don't. No, no one does. No one knows. The answer is no. You are all alone. <laughs> we are all alone. And I feel like now I'm almost like an expert on audio equipment, which should not be true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is now, what it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Well, before we keep going, I wanted to read to you all something really, really special that came through on the Apple profile, whatever you call it, um, for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We got a review and this was so beautiful that I shared it with the co-hosts and was like, we need to share this on on the podcast. Yeah. It was, uh, okay. So I'm going to just going to read it and then we can talk about it. So it says, life on side B is the closest thing to church I've experienced in a long, long time. If someone was to ask me what God looked like, this community would be part of that image. This podcast exemplifies what is good, true, and beautiful about empathy, faith, and loving each other. Too many stories about LGBTQ people center on the marginalization, trauma, and loss that is unleashed upon sexual minorities. Life on Side B flips that narrative and allows us all to imagine a better world where we can be loved completely and understood deeply, the heart cry of all humanity. Y'all, I cried with that one. I loved it. So sweet. Thank thank you for whoever wrote that. That was very meaningful. And, you know, if you guys, if you love this podcast, please leave us a review. It helps people find us more. And also it just helps me be encouraged for the fact that we're actually doing something. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this year you were at, well, I guess you, did you pre-record your talks for Revoice this year? Okay. Yes, we did. We were planning on going and then it just worked out better to pre-record and then Mm -hmm. ship them on over. Um, We were going to miss our second daughter's birthday for like the third year in a row. And she only was turning four. So (laughs) that was rough. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So we were glad to be there for her uh rainbow cheetah party but yeah we sent our talks in early <laughs> oh, rainbow good. cheetah party yeah <laughs> yeah that's juju she's <laughs> an enneagram seven eight or eight seven and so lord help us but that girl yeah. knows who she is oh, that's awesome. <laughs> i feel like her and i would be best friends yes 100%. you would Just yes absolutely <laughs> please come hang out with her <laughs> we're what state are you in? We're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yep. So on the okay. quote unquote coast, the West Coast of Michigan. <laughs> We're yeah, so okay. cool. Oh, fun. Well, I thought before we get into the discussion for this week, we could talk about a question and we're going to use Grant's, Grant's go-to question. You want to go ahead and ask it, Grant? Yes. My go-to icebreaker question uh, is, what does your breakfast your favorite breakfast food. Tell us about your spiritual life. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yes. yeah. Okay. Do you want me to start with that or are we going around the table? You um, want to go ahead, Grant, since you already know yours and give a little bit of inspiration for Lauren. Yes. Listeners may have already heard uh, my favorite breakfast food is a breakfast burrito. Uh, and sometimes my life is a scramble. You know, it just, it doesn't (laughs) stick together, sort of falls apart, but, um, the Lord comes in like the tortilla, uh, and maybe also the cheese, uh, and binds (laughs) everything together and keeps it in one place. In perfect (laughs) harmony. So, um, yes. Like I'm reading Colossians. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. I am. It's, it's the Grant Hartley translation of. Colossians. So, <laughs> it's 
great. I keep trying to think of what my answer would be. I think, honestly, for me, it would, well, my favorite breakfast food is a waffle. Mm. Okay. And I'm trying to think of what that's <laughs> just it's just pregnant with spiritual meaning. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very holy. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> but um <laughs> but um that's a dad joke and I don't even have children. <laughs> um right there. Yeah. What is your favorite breakfast food, Lori? Uh, so I'm a pretty healthy person. Uh, so okay. I would go like a vegan blah, 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 but my real heart breakfast food, which breakfast is the superior meal. Thank you, Ron mm-hmm. Swanson. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be some sort of like pancake lathered in everything. Um, <sighs> so that tells me about my spiritual life is I think I'm constantly craving the comfort of God. <laughs> so exactly. you're just yeah, lathered in the love of Jesus. Yeah. Lather- that's what I'm craving. I'm longing for the lathering of the love of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now we're in first John. First John. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. That's really, that's really, really good. All right. Well today y'all, we are here with Lori and we are going to be talking about doubt dealing with doubt mm-hmm. um how that works in our life a kind of fitting conversation after our conversation last week on theology <laughs> but yeah. um really how when we get to those places of questioning whether our faith uh whether our stance on sexuality all of this stuff how do we deal with it and we're going to be talking about that and i'm also really excited to talk about your new book that's coming out hey, uh, which is going to be really good but to start off to start with a question that we you know, normally ask everyone, especially on their first time on the podcast, um, just to give a little bit of introduction for anyone who may not know you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you identify and a little of how you've gotten to where you're at in reconciling yeah. your faith and sexuality? So how I identify as far as my sexuality is a beloved child of the king who, when she wrestles with sexuality, it's toward women. Or if I wrestle with lust, it's going to be toward women. So it's a lot of words. And I understand that. But for (laughs) me, um, I chose that. And I'm not saying this is a prescriptive thing for everyone else for two main reasons. And one being my own personal walk with Jesus. Um, When I identify as gay in my own head, I start to posture myself in relationships to other women, especially women I find attractive, actually probably only women I find attractive, um, (laughs) in ways that uh, no one else would notice, not even my husband, which that's a whole other Mm -hmm. story, Um, but the Holy Spirit would and I do, where I'm just trying to get them to notice me, et cetera, et cetera. So I just noticed that in myself. And so I was like, you know, I tried it on for a while in my own mind and heart. And I was like, this is not great for my walk with Jesus, which is my, the most important Mm -hmm. thing to me Mm -hmm. for sure. Second thing is I have kids and um, as parents, my husband and I, we are their first image of God to them. Like, sure. Mm -hmm. I can explain concepts about Jesus, which they get at some level, my six-year-old, I guess a bit, but um, they're starting to a bit more and more, but how they really see Jesus, how they see God is in Matt and I, my husband, Matt and I representing God to them. And uh, Mm -hmm. so there's something again to me, not prescriptive, intrinsic in the word, in the words, I am gay, that, to me, when they learn my story, hear our story, if they hear that, it could feel like the rug's getting pulled out from underneath them. Like, mm. wait a minute, mom's gay? Like, I, because to me, and maybe to them, there's something intrinsic in the word gay that is a looking away from Matt. So if instead mm. I say something that's like, yeah, I am a beloved child of the king, so are you. But my version of broken sexuality is when I struggle with lust, it's toward women. But I am in a covenant that doesn't that doesn't define marriage to me. I'm in a covenant relationship to your dad. Mm. And when you see me and dad, they, this one, they roll their eyes out. They've heard it so much. When you, dad and I <laughs> love each other well, my four-year-old even, uh, dad and I love each other well, what does that to show you? I know it shows us how much God loves us. Okay, can we go do something else? <laughs> so I want them to have that so in their DNA. Um and so that's why I choose the identity labels, I guess, or lack of labels that I do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think oftentimes just as important as the labels that we end up choosing for ourselves are the reasons why. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I don't know, that's really encouraging to hear like your thought process behind mm-hmm. why you've thoughtfully and prayerfully chosen the words to use to describe yourself. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have more to share there? With the- um, well, do you want me to dive into some of like my story, I guess? Just how yeah. I- yeah. I guess just give a little bit of a overview of your story yeah. um, for people listening. Yeah, so um, born with a few different things. One, I was born ninth of 12 kids, so I have 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dang. I and I thought I was one of many. Okay. How many do you have? I have five. That's so I'm, I'm one of five. Anyone more than three, I'm like, wow. And then they look at me and I'm like, okay, but I didn't birth them. Um, <laughs> But I have eight older, three younger, and I loved it. It's like, I always say this, but it's like a cross between like the best summer camp ever and like Bible club because my parents are believers and then also like Hunger Games because you had to eat quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I not relate expect on. the Hunger Games reference. <laughs> you know it. Oh, gee. All right. People do not realize in a, sorry, really quick. And then I'll, people do not realize in a large family, like I would go to people's houses and just consume food and they would be like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because if I don't in my own household, I don't eat. I know. Exactly. And my husband, Matt, he had one brother. I was like, what do you mean you would get a number? Like he'd get a number six at Wendy's. And he goes, yeah, with an extra burger. And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> we led very different lives. We'd like share a hamburger. Oh, yeah. One, the yeah. 50 cent one. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, continue. Yeah. So I had that. And then I also um, had this, what we call, you know, Hole in My Heart podcast. It's a podcast that I run. I had this God-shaped hole in my heart. Augustine refers to it. You've made us for yourself, O oh Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds us rest in you. We all have this. Mm-hmm. And it is full of these good needs God put in us before the fall for things like belonging and nurture and to be seen and to have purpose. These are good things. Then the fall came. And instead of looking to our creator and having creation support these good needs that we have, instead, we can take our eyes from the creator to creation and worship that instead, Mm -hmm. which that's all of us. All of us are born that way with a natural default predisposition or orientation, if you will, to get the good needs of our heart met in ways that do not satisfy and do not glorify God. Mm. So one of those ways for me, I've got a bunch of them. I'm not a one issue gal as none of us are. (laughs) I got several. One of them is perfectionism. You know, in my family, it was like, of course you get a 4.0 and it wasn't like, Oh, of course you do. It was just like, you just get all eight. So perfectionism, people pleasing, um, but I also felt from a young age, uh, these attractions toward the same sex from like young age, like five. And it wasn't like, oh, this is a sin struggle. I surrender to the Lordship of Christ. <laughs> no, no, no. This was like not even categorically sin. It was like other. It was those yeah. people out there, them, them, them. There's, it was the 1990s, lots of war on marriage talk. This like gay agenda seemingly was going to obliterate humanity. I don't know. But if you grow up hearing that and you're feeling this internally, you know, you don't just surrender it to Jesus. You try and fragment yourself to survive. And I did that. So anytime I'd feel it, desire it, it was like, don't feel it. It wasn't surrender. It was mm-hmm. don't feel it. And um mm-hmm. In college, I met another girl who felt the same way about me as they did about her. Christian college, um, is Christian leader. I was like that annoying girl that you knew in your campus that like did all the leadership stuff. That was me. Um, and ended up in same sex relationship. And I was so baffled by my own self because I didn't fit my own stereotypes of a quote unquote homosexual lifestyle. Like I thought I was supposed to be like sleeping around and like snorting crack and stuff. And I was like, (laughs) I think I love Jesus more than like all these other people in the pew. (laughs) So I was really confused, really confused. Yeah. Um, 
And my dad was a pastor, actually, at the time. So that added another layer. Um, And I reached a point, actually, after graduating, I ended up breaking up with that girlfriend and um, actually ended up dating a guy for a little bit. And I was like, it was like my heart connected to just him. But then I broke up with him because God told me to. And he like really did. And every minute of every day, I thought a woman was what I needed. And um, I was either going to come out as a lesbian atheist or kill myself because I thought that to be a Christian, I needed to be straight. I knew zero, zero stories of like side B in, it wasn't a thing. It was like ex gay or affirming like that. Yeah. Didn't, there was no, like I couldn't search the internet for the side B podcast. Mm. There was none of it. Yeah. You guys know these good old days. <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay. So I started seeing a counselor because I wanted to kill myself and a friend was like, that's probably not great. So I saw a therapist and she was more than a therapist. I'd seen other therapists and I'd see them for like a minute and then leave because they were just, they were either like bad on theology. Well, there's one that was somewhat helpful. Most of them just were either bad on theology or bad on knowing how to care and walk with people. Mm -hmm. This lady I always joke saying she was like spiritual Dumbledore slash master Gandalf character. So um, she like didn't walk on the ground. She just like floated. It seemed like because (laughs) she knew Jesus. He was not some like, Oh, let's hear your story and duct tape some theology to that. Um, It was, she knew him and in walking with her, uh, it was not some whatever reparative therapy. So I didn't even go for her to her for these attractions. I went to her cause I wanted to kill myself. And in mm-hmm. meeting with her, I met God. I mm-hmm. met Jesus mm-hmm. and I knew Jesus in my head. And I thought I knew him in my heart, but she took it from my head to my heart. And yeah. she helped me to interpret these desires I have, which she removed the shame. She's like, those are not bad things. Lori, these <laughs> desires you have for a, for love, for like, Lori, okay, picture the ideal perfect woman in your head. She's like, what are you picturing? And I was like, well, that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. I was like, oh, I want to be seen and known and loved. And she looks me in the eye, which totally removes shame as I like hate myself. She's like, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But will that woman, will she ever meet that in you? That's like, no. But Jesus isn't any better. He won't either. <laughs> I was like, don't say he's the answer. She's like, you know it is. And what she did is she helped to remove barriers between those good needs I mentioned and the need meter, capital N and M the need meter of my soul. I didn't realize I had like boatloads of like pain and like regular kid stuff and bitterness and unforgiveness. And so the tools to use to break the down the barriers between those good needs and the need meter of my soul was not some sort of weirdo therapy. It truly was spiritual disciplines. And um, I met Jesus and fell in love with him. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm a happy single person and I'm going to go get my doctorate and be an English professor. Cause that's the only thing that lesbians can be. I think But <laughs> no, no, I I'm just, I'm taking the name for a second. Uh, but I'll just go get my PhD. I don't know. That's what I'll go do. And, um, mm-hmm. I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying, I have someone for you. And I was like, no, that sounds stupid. And He, I was like, I know you're designed for marriage, God. It's between a man and a woman. You know, I have these ongoing attractions. Like I didn't, they didn't go away. I just learned I could Mm -hmm. surrender them and I could live with joy as I surrender them. They aren't something to be fragmented and cut out. They're something to be surrendered along with every other person's version of broken sexuality, which everyone is broken in their sexuality, even the straightest housewife, which side note, mm-hmm. you know, 84% of women use sex to get more like housework done. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I want to not. know how that works. 
Oh, just, oh, I'll tell you all the ways of them. <laughs> it's dysfunctional. Um, but that's not. I'm very me. removed from straight life. So yeah. you will probably have to explain me it to me. I will. I'm happy to. Uh, no, but I'm just saying that's a version of that's broken sexuality. That is not how Absolutely. God designed it. So even though we're like, oh, no, I'm not mm. like them. Mm, we got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves and take yeah. the blank out of our eyes. So anyway, God said, I have someone for you. I said, no, but God brought not men into my life. He brought one man back, which happened to be the dude I had tried dating after I broke up with my girlfriend. And um, <laughs> I didn't fall in love with men. I was in love with Jesus. And God said, Lori, the mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples, which that's the calling on your life is to be one with God and invite others into this oneness. The mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is as a married woman, Lori. I was like, okay, God. And it wasn't like I dragged my feet to the altar at all. It was I, when your heart is aligned to God's heart, your wants become his wants. You start praying into his will. And so I was not praying straightness. That was like, it's a waste of a prayer. I was praying, God, not my will, but yours. And he said, the mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is a married woman. And we celebrated our 11 year anniversary in February. Oh, wow. Mm. Congratulations. Wow. I, I love your reference because actually you were talking about like our his desires become our desires. And actually on my ring that I wear is that is the verse delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because yeah. i am a very big believer that's one of my favorite verses because that's always been my thing to god is it's about just simply knowing jesus and mm. becoming more like him Amen. and and being delighted in him and just we find that the things that he's passionate about we become passionate about and yep. the things that he desires for this world we desire for this world and slowly and we're imperfect and we're all broken and yet somehow we can become more like him. And it's the craziest contradiction of our mm. faith. Mm. Yeah. That's so That's good. So crazy. Well, Lori, when you were sharing your story, um, I think someone might be able to hear it uh, as if it was sort of a steady progression mm. uh, over time and you slowly became more and more sure, but I'm sure that there were setbacks and you dealt with um some yeah. doubts along the way like what what were some of the doubts that you were wrestling with when it comes to faith and sexuality when it comes to um even just faith um apart from your sexuality i'm sure there was a lot of that as well yeah well if you want to sink into my greatest doubting season that actually came about six or seven years into marriage do you want me to unpack that a hot second oh yeah yes please please okay so yeah, that was a decently steady progression. And it really was more like, I want Jesus. So here I am. And then the first six or so years of marriage were great. And then our second daughter was born. Um, now, okay. And I say great. There's like a whole sideways thing I could walk down where Matt, my husband came forward with a secret six year pornography addiction. That was a super huge challenge. Uh, a few mm. other things, head injury. I, it was blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like living in the dark in the couch for a year. It was bad. Anyway. So, but daughter was second daughter was born and something woke up in me when she was born. And it was like, it shook my childhood self when I had an issue of assault happen to me when I was young. So it was like my brain, my right now brain was connecting actually to my oldest daughter. And it, when this issue happened was when my little brother was born. So I was connecting in my head. I'm like, oh, when my little brother was born, just like my daughter's little sister was born, something happened. And it was like something clicked in me. Uh, she was born and trauma woke up. And this can happen uh, at different times. And sometimes with parents when they have their kids, when their kids reach the age when they were traumatized. And I just was like, mm -hmm. what the heck? And then this trauma, even though Matt wasn't my perpetrator, how trauma works is, you know, it triggers us into seeing them as can see friends as enemies. Mm -hmm. So it was like this trauma woke up and it uh, is not 
causation of the attraction to the same sex, but then the attractions to the same sex, my desires for women looked at Matt and magnetized to this trauma waking up and was like whispering, well, you don't even like him anyway. Why are you in no. marriage? This isn't what you want. Why are you here? And um, that began a couple year battle, which is what we unpack in our marriage, in our marriage book, our impossible marriage, uh, what our mixed orientation marriage taught us about love and the gospel. That's where our book sinks in is how did our marriage survive me reaching a point where I went on a silent retreat and I wrestled with God? Do I stay or do I go? Mm. And um, the next years of really doing what you guys just so beautifully said back to me of my, are my wants your wants? Like how, mm -hmm. how does that play into? So the doubting for me wasn't even necessarily doubting um, those six, seven years in, wasn't doubting like the theology necessarily. It was, do I want this theology? Mm. And um, for me, the baseline question was, it came down to, do I want God? And um, that actually came through the book of Jude, which I can go mm. there if you want me to, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yes, lead us, please. <laughs> it's a book we don't normally get to go to. I yeah. know. I mean, who reads Jude? Good grief. Um, so I was there at the silent retreat, and our mentor, uh, Dave Phelan, he's the chairman of our board of our ministry for a while, and he actually is on the, he's on the board of directors for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. He's a great guy, and he had gifted Matt and I with a silent retreat, and he didn't know. No one knew, really, what I was wrestling through. Um, where Matt and I would just sit at the kitchen table and like, I would just cry or I just would be so cold to him. And I, I packed how I say it in our book, I packed into my suitcase a question to go on this silent retreat retreat in the middle of winter. What do you want? Hmm. And, um, I went back and forth with God. I literally did a pro con list like Rory Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on staying or going. And um, I was like, if I stay, you know, I don't know if we'll ever be able to like be physically close again, which side note, here's a little insight into straight people marriages. Your it sex is a barometer, a faulty it, it, to many people, it's a barometer of how okay your marriage is. And so if you're having issues with sex, it's like, oh no, that like is the count, the number of how your marriage is doing, which is so broken. And I just feel like Jesus grieved mm -hmm. over that. But here we were unable to have sex. And here I was like not wanting to even stay in my marriage. And I'm like, well, I'm already failing. Mm -hmm. Marriage is doomed. So I'm like, okay, so here we are. If I go, I'll be able to have this type of sexual intimacy if I want, if I leave. Uh, if I leave, I'll be free. Um, mm -hmm. I am scared though. So I start looking at the cons. I don't want my kids to be confused. I actually would miss Matt. Like it wasn't even like he was, a, he's like the best guy. If you talk to him, like you are, mm -hmm. and he really is. Like he really, I was so mean to him and he was a saint. And I was like, okay, you know, there's always this question, which I'm not about to cast judgment at all, but just like, okay, if I run from essentially my life and what I seems like God wants for me, would I go to hell? Like, mm. honestly, that was on the table. I was like, I don't know. That's sobering. I was like, but not enough. <laughs> and then I remembered that book of Jude that we just alluded to, which I mean, literally who reads Jude? It's so weird. <laughs> I had read it before, and it says this, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ told you, that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. Now they are here, and they are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They live by natural instinct because they do not have God's spirit living in them. Mm. Natural. So they're following what's natural to them. Cause I'm like, this feels natural to mm -hmm. me. Leave Matt to go find a wife to go. Be, I'll be best friends with my husband, but I'll be like other liberated lesbians. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I was like, if I do that, they do so because they do not have God's spirit living in them. And I'm not kidding, guys. I, it was all on the table. <laughs> and I threw it on the table. I was like, well, what's your spirit give me, God? Right? So here yeah. I am. What is your, what's your spirit even give me? And you guys, I kid you not. I experienced in the next like two milliseconds what I believe was like a micro taste of what eternal separation from God feels like. I was so cold mm -hmm. and so afraid. And it wasn't like I was empty. I felt like I was emptiness. And I was terrified. And when those two seconds were done, it was so clear to me. God is not some like Jiminy Cricket in our lives. He's not just like some, always let your conscience be your guide, you know, like, oh, sprinkle Lord Jesus on me. And, but I'm really going to do what I want. He is the source. So he's the only source of true comfort and hope and peace. He's the only real source of all of that. And I was like, if I want God, if I want the only true source of comfort and hope and peace that I want what he wants for me even if it goes against what's natural to me and so who <laughs> who is right <laughs> i um i packed that back into my suitcase and left in the middle of the snowstorm and i said god i do not know how you're going to fix our marriage i don't know if i'll ever be able to have sex with matt again but I want you. And because I want you, I want what you have for me. And you have called me, not everyone. I'm not writing a prescription for everyone, but you want this marriage for me. So God, I surrender to you. And um, that be kickstarted a couple years of diving into the theology of marriage of why male and female marriage god not just what are the arguments against same-sex marriage those are boring to me and i can i could try and undo them if i wanted mm. if i wanted to and i could probably i could even get myself to believe them at some level but why god why the yes of male female marriage mm. why, why sex help me understand and the more questions i ask them my stray friends i'm like what the heck you guys have no idea either <laughs> 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 like, no. like, I don't know, every 72 to 48 hours, you're just supposed to have sex with your husband and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, that is not, that is not obligation, obligatory sex or maintenance sex. Here's more straight people words is not going to cut it in our marriage. And I found out that the deep theological truths and the wrestling on the mat, the wrestling uh, with yes or no, why God was actually reached taking me to the edge the edge of disbelief brought me to the highest peak of belief in god's beautiful design for marriage and now i'm like marriage's biggest fan and I can't shut up about it yeah mm -hmm. and wow. it turns out all straight people need to hear it too and maybe especially yeah. them wow mm. the more the more you mention like specific aspects of uh heterosexual marriages like the more I am just mystified at this like subculture I don't know about like maintenance sex. What what is like uh, so confusing? <laughs> yeah, it's appalling, and it's unbelievable, and it's not what God created. Which yeah. marriage, sex and marriage is supposed to be this retelling, beautiful covenant marriage, like metaphor inside of the marriage metaphor saying, God wants to be holistically one with you. And one day you will be. God wants mm -hmm. to marry us. And so you're saying, I, I, in this oneness with you, I am showing you how one God is and will be with you. That's not maintenance sex. That's a gospel narrative. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And kind of connected with that. Um, like I would love to ask you, you, you were talking about how, you know, if you, if you really, what you took time to really look at, you know, what is it about 
you know, male, female marriage, you know, union and and all this stuff. And you were like, if, if I really wanted to, I could convince myself about same sex marriage, but like, that's not the point. And I'm not going to like focus on that. Like, how do you, and, and I think one of the hard parts for so many, you know, LGBT people that want to hold to a traditional, you know, sexual ethic, they hear all of these voices Mm. from so many different perspectives, sharing their thoughts on, on sexuality and faith and, and how, how have you been able to wade through all of these voices and come to a place of security on what you believe and how you live? Mm-hmm. What, what has that been like for you and, and related to kind of what so many LGBT Christians go through mm-hmm. with that? I try and shut a lot of the noise down, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, I, it talks about in Second Timothy, like there will be very hard times and in the end times people will hear whatever their itching ears want to hear. But instead of me pointing fingers, oh, you with your itching ears, my ears itch. I want to, my flesh wants to hear what agrees with my flesh. So I think I try and shut that noise down. I don't, I don't go wandering around on the internet I, I mean, I, I'm not saying I do that perfectly, but I try my best to not wander on the internet to hear all the affirming voices, et cetera. I'm not saying I listen to zero. I'm not saying I listen to zero contradictions. I'm just saying, I think probably, and I pray the spirit helps to discern my, or to clarify my voice, but just, you know, the difference between I am searching for either arguments or answers versus I'm just wandering on the mm. internet. I try to really eliminate that. Um, and that helps to clarify, try and limit just even time I'm on the internet period or, or when I'm doing all this, this sorts of research. So how though, did I just even discern? How do I even have like a filter to know what to discern is helpful and unhelpful? I'm always listening for, bear with me as I use this word, universal mm-hmm. truth. I don't mean universalism. I'm saying it. <laughs> If it's right for the straight people, then it's right for the not straight people. If it's good Mm -hmm. for single people, then it's good for married people. I am constantly putting that against Mm -hmm. everyone's different gospel narratives. So if people are talking to me Mm -hmm. about maintenance sex, I can go ahead and filter that one out because it is it sounds like obligation and it doesn't sound like the oneness that God that Jesus calls us to. So. I think the biggest thing is that's one of them is what's the universality. If it's good, good for the gays, it's good for the straights. And I've heard that. Married and single. And two, the question that I think we need to be asking about our sexuality, yes, is what do we do with our sexuality? But really, where does sex belong in marriage? So the questions we need to be asking are like, what the heck is marriage? And so I'm I'm always listening for voices there too, as opposed to doing this like part part and parcel of like okay, well in this situation this sexual sex 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 I don't know I just feel like there's lots of sex <laughs> as opposed to okay so that's reserved for married people now let's get on mission <laughs> I want to hear yeah. that so it's not so it's okay what's universal what is the marriage question and then. I want to hear at the baseline of anyone who I'm listening to that they get the purpose of their life is not Mm. how to specifically deal with all these nuances in our sex and sexuality, which are important to talk about at some level, but is not the base. I want to hear what's the purpose of your life is to love God and make disciples. I want to hear that in their heart, in their words, in their language, which is why I'm so probably at points obnoxiously focused on the gospel being good news for everyone every day in our own podcast. And every time I speak, when I talk to young people, I have to like shake them with words and say, what's the purpose of your life? And they don't even know. So I think if I hear that in the speaker's words, in their heart, in their worldview, then I am I'm more able to keep, I put my ear closer to their mouth. But if they're not, I, I back it up. Yeah. Mm. I think that's really good. I, I think so many times, you know, we can get to this place of, of 
feeling so pressured yeah. that we are have to figure out everything of mm. what we believe on this one topic yeah. that mm. we forget the gospel. Yeah. We forget like about faith, like the overall arching of faith, as you said, um, and it be, can become even this burden that can take our eyes off of Jesus himself and, and of his church and, and of the very faith that he's called us to. Yeah. And it becomes so hard because um, I think it, it connects to, <clears throat> gosh, um, I think it connects to even what you were talking about. We, we have these deep desires in our heart that are from God that are when they're not being fulfilled, they yeah. propel us to look for where we can find that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think so many times, a lot of times doubting for LGBT Christians many times doesn't even come from an issue of logical reasoning in the sense of like looking for the best answer, but right. simply a questioning of, I don't feel fulfilled where I'm at. Right. And I, want to find where I'm to be fulfilled. And so we look for all of these, we look at all of the views and we, we look at all of it, not even from the, what might have started our, 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 um, our questioning may not have even been a questioning of logic, but even just a, that whole, as you talked about that whole of that desire to be wanted and need and seen and, mm -hmm. and loved and lack of community. And, um, like with that, what, you know, you talked about kind of trauma was one of the things that initiated your period of doubt within six or seven years of your marriage. And kind of, can you speak a little bit more into that of what you think, what are some of these things that could lead us to doubt, like, mm -hmm. or, yeah. or those stuff in our lives? I think in specifically the context that we're talking about, like, yeah, I think unprocessed trauma, um, I think hypocrisy is a huge one. This is mm -hmm. why I'm going to keep railing on and I don't want to say railing because we're all made in the image of God, but on straight couples who, you know, I get, you guys, I'm sure experience patronizing. I experience patronizing. Oh, you're so cute with your little thank you oh, yeah. marriage book. Yeah. You think you can teach us something, don't you? You know, and it's, mm -hmm. some of them are very, like, they don't know what they're doing and some do. <laughs> some straight up do. Yeah. Um. So I think if I... No, I'm just going to try and solve that one. But if I can get in my heart or we, as we're listening, if hypocrisy is a big one for us, if we, as we're listening, can go, Jesus, Father, when were you patronized? When were you misunderstood? When were you patted on the head and you're the king of kings? And I just think through the gospels and you're like, man, they like called him like friend of sinners and a drunkard and a glutton and then they didn't i mean hello what did they think he was they murdered him so mm. there ain't no empathy like emmanuel's empathy <laughs> that helps yeah. to know he sees yeah. me like he does me so it's like i'm reaching out to him even in my doubting like god do you see me right now so if hypocrisy is a big one having him empathize and then say god help me to forgive them and love them. And then will you empower me to say things that are convicting that are not mean and like backhandy? I feel like there's lots of like, well, you're stupid slap. No, you're stupid slap going on on the internet in the world right now. And it's just, honestly, it's not changing hearts. It's just giving us pink cheeks from getting slapped. Um, mm -hmm. So I think if we really ask for forgive and for love, and um, I think there's some heart work that can happen if what we're viewing is hypocrisy. And so we don't have to scream it. We can speak it. And I pray even yeah. our book speaks into that. Um, I think hypocrisy, I think longing, I think sometimes we think um, I want this and then we stare at it long enough and then you're going to go toward that which you stare at. like where your treasure is there where your heart be and mm. so again speaking into that and in my own walk i don't i don't have any of this nailed guys i'm walking with this every day um, same here right <laughs> you you seem like you have a lot of good advice though <laughs> so well it's from a lot of failing and um but i think about that if you're just staring at it it, it's again, we got to remove the shame. It's not, oh yes, I need to turn my eyes to Jesus. True, 
But something that helps me with the shame of that is you're actually not looking far enough. We are not looking far enough. Yeah, you long for that person or that thing or that community that probably I get so tired of fighting. Don't you guys get tired of fighting the church? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so tired of yeah. like, include me, see me. But instead of staring at that person or that thing, or one day I got to look farther and think, Jesus, one day I will be seen and known and loved. Mm. I'm staring at this person, but I'm actually not looking at the capital P person. Like I'm not going far enough. So then instead of shaming and hating myself, I'm like, okay, Lori, dear ones, just don't look. You don't have to just turn around. Yes, that's repentance. But I'm saying look through it. Look around it. Who sees and knows and loves you. So I, for me, at least those are the top ones. It isn't always an argument with the direct theology. I think exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying as far as um, it's more emotive than it is theological brainy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's been kind of like for me. I used to always say I have my annual period of doubt um, because it just seemed I have my friends would be like, I, we feel like this is like a yearly occurrence for you that you go through this period of like, what is up with my life and my yeah. faith and why am I doing and, and go just questioning everything. And, um, and I learned that many times it, it didn't stem from this, Hey, my arguments aren't enough or I don't, believe in what I believe, whether or not my doubting dealt with like my stance on marriage and sexuality or whether it dealt with another part of faith or whatever it was, it, I, I learned that many times those, those, those periods of doubt were, were not initiated by philosophy or reasoning. It was initiated by something missing yeah in my life something missing in my desires something missing in within my my community many many times for me especially um and then that causing this domino effect of questioning and mm-hmm. and working through that and then kind of doing that and um to I know this is going to be unexpected and he might not like it for me, but Grant, actually for you, oh, um, oh. <laughs> I was just thinking as we're talking about this, I would love to hear what has been your experience with doubt. I think a lot of what Laura, you were sharing um, earlier about how um, a bunch of, a lot of my wrestling was not necessarily about the theology but about my willingness to live out what I believed, um, my willingness to stand up under pressure for what yeah. I believed. Right. Um, so there's, I think over time I can discern a pattern of maybe fairly steady um, understanding of what I believe and feeling more and more rooted and grounded in it. And that hasn't so much changed, but my desire to live it out has definitely fluctuated. Um, mm. And it's usually correlated with um, parts of my life where like I have an easy out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an opportunity for me that there wasn't there before. It's really easy to believe uh, the traditional sexual ethic and to pursue celibacy. If there's no opportunity to like, to test the boundaries. Yeah. Um, but once there is an opportunity, like once there's someone I'm attracted to, or once uh someone is attracted to me, or um opportunities like that, it those are moments where I really wrestle with, I guess, a kind of um visceral doubt. Not intellectual, but um I could really if I wanted to, I could do what I wanted. <laughs> Um, so I think that's most of the doubt that I have wrestled with. I think there's been moments where I've wrestled through theology and read passages of scripture and thought, how am I supposed to interpret this in a way that doesn't make me want to scream? Uh, but I think that that other kind of doubt, the more visceral doubt is what I've, I've wrestled with in my own, in my own life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And 
I guess kind of um, going along with this, I, I kind of want to ask two questions in one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a twofer. Um, first of all, we all go through doubt. And I feel like we all don't, we never want anyone else to know when we're going through it kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, and yet we think that we're alone and yet we then learn that really everyone's dealing with this and they honestly together, yeah. maybe not at the exact same time, but we all deal with it. Do you think that there is any good sides of doubt, like good things that can come from it? Yeah. And along with that, how would you say, I, I we've talked about it a little bit, but really to solidify like where, where does the relationship with Jesus play into this? Mm. You know, um, maybe whether in the midst of it, how to deal with it, those stuff. So you guys are talking about cyclical doubt. Um, I, I am less after going through the massive, like, okay, I'm all in with Jesus. Then we got married. Then it was another kind of, okay, fine. I'm all in with Jesus. Then we stayed married. <laughs> um, yeah. I can still wrestle with attraction to same sex. And sometimes it can be high on the scale. Matt and I, when we talk about temptation, which is the whole other podcast episode, but like we scale it, you know, and it's mm. of like numbers, but honestly, it's, it's not as it's huge of an issue. My like baseline is like a four out of 10 on the struggleometer. If a 10 is like, yeah. and I'm out of our marriage. Um, so, well, but I'm fine. I'm fine with a baseline four. but my issues and the cyclical doubt at this point is um, kind of what you were just referring to grant was the, why the heck am I doing this as far as speaking up? Like for me, my biggest doubt comes in ministry world is it is a high cost to speak up and out on a traditional biblical sexual ethic as a married woman, as a human, as a human in 2020, to hold yeah. orthodox view of marriage and sexuality. Not only is it hard in our personal lives, but there is a high cost um, to speaking out. And there's many times where I'm like, I'm just going to shut my mouth and not do like why not i don't decide that i'm like why am i speaking that's what i ask and i just doubt my calling i guess that's more it mm -hmm. and um uh, if it's i worth feel it, you there <laughs> right, right is it worth it hmm. um and so the what the question as far as is there any good to it is i it's like i have to every three or four months maybe every two months at this point getting hot and hotter maybe every week who knows but <laughs> i have to get to why am i doing this to get to the bottom of the barrel to see at the bottom of the barrel there's jesus sitting with me and he's like i see you right here right now as you're wrestling with this and man it's hard to live out our calling isn't it and um to see him look over at brother jesus it's yes it's sometimes i'm looking up sometimes looking ahead but looking over at brother Jesus sometimes can be the most comforting to me because he's in Gethsemane, he wrestled with his calling. Hmm. Like that was the reason he came. And hmm. um, so to have him sit with me as I'm hiding like Gideon in a, the one in the barrel, like, I don't want to do this. Like, uh, why am I here? And um, asking those questions, uh, in answer in hearing from him either press on i'm with you sometimes he doesn't answer the why he's not like oh because you're gonna get like a billion dollars in like money and diamonds and, <laughs> like, and fame and everyone's gonna love you and all of this no, stuff no if you're in this biz everyone loving you needs to be right ripped off the table it's not it's <laughs> yeah. gone but then so should all the other ones, you know, like I, am I doing this for Jesus or am I doing this for the rewards, the pre eternal new heaven, new earth rewards. And that I'm like, I fall back in love with him at the bottom of the barrel. And I say, okay, God, if you're with me, I can do this. If you're calling me to this, we can do this. Hmm. So that for me, the cyclical doubting of my calling is worth it. I hate it because I don't ever think I'm totes going to get through this. I'm like, maybe this is the time I'm not. <laughs> and then yeah. I do, but I'm, I come out um, not alone. Mm -hmm.
not that I ever was, but I, I feel his presence more and I'm actually more empowered to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. That I totally, I totally relate to that. Cause it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm in a similar place where I've noticed, I would say over the past year, year, like two years, um, I have gotten to a pretty secure place where I, I don't necessarily go through the cyclical doubt of, of my stance on tradition, you know, traditional sexuality or my place in it. I've even honestly gotten to a place where I like my life and (laughs) I like my community. Yeah. And I'm like, even if my theology were to change, which I do not, it's not going to, but like, if it were to change, I like my life. Yeah. I don't need a, I don't need a relationship, you know, like a, sexual relationship with a man to feel fulfilled. I've, yeah. I've just gotten to that place. Um, but I do deal with that cyclical doubt of my place in ministry. Like, Oh my gosh, like this is just, this is really hard, <laughs> you know? And cause you get it from both sides. You get yeah. it from conservatives don't like you. Progressives don't like you. And, and you just, sometimes I'll go and be like, Jesus, am I representing you? Right. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to get to this point of looking back and going, I did it wrong. I, I went about it wrong. And maybe all those critics were right. And I think it's, I love what you're saying. Cause I think that that reevaluation, a continual reevaluation helps to resolidify in those, you know, in those times of like, yes, yeah, this is, this, yep. this is where I'm going, I'm going forward. And it, it can take you almost to like a deeper level, a mm. deeper level of commitment at least for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. Yeah. Um, Lori, I am so excited for your book that is coming out soon about marriage. Um, I think there's a real uh, lack of books on specifically um, what, what perspective uh, those in a mixed orientation marriage can mm-hmm. bring to marriage. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so pumped for your book to come out. I would love for you to share a little bit about your book. Yeah, thanks. Oh man. Um, I am super excited about it and my best moments of my best days. Uh, I was just listening to an extra bonus podcast we recorded for people who join our launch team or who pre-order. And I listened back and I was like, oh, it's so peaceful when I was answering how I was feeling about our book. Um, but I said there, and I'll say it now, when I'm resting in my belovedness as God's daughter, I'm so excited to get this message out. When I shift into my flesh and perhaps move into some of that doubt, I'm super nervous. Um, mm. But I know, um, I know I'm loved, and I know this is a message that uh, we were approached to write this book, and so this is not the one I was pitching to editors for a while. Um, yeah. This is a different one, and it—I don't know how to explain it. It's so it's called an impossible marriage. What our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel, but that scene that I described of going on that silent retreat—that's what opens the book, and then the mm-hmm. rest of it is really me asking and answering the question what is marriage? What is sex in marriage? And will our marriage ever connect? Will we ever connect again? And to the point of, and this sounds vulgar, but it's not if you understand what sex is, but like, will we ever have sex again? That's kind of a question we're asking. Um, Because I was like, God, if you're into traumatizing people and like forcing people, I ain't about that life. So you're going to have to work on my heart. And then at the same time, it goes back and forth between Matt and I, and he shares his perspective of where I thought sex, heterosexual sex in marriage was like, why? And Matt worshipped it in his own way, uh, either through pornography addiction, but even after he broke that off, realizing his heart still saw it as ultimate, as the thing that would meet the whole in his heart, this desire to be seen and known and loved and wanted. And so you hear him wrestling to dethrone sex. Well, I'm working to see it for the gospel metaphor that it is. So I'm excited because I think I pray and the response we've been getting so far is married and single people are blessed by it because it helps us to take sex off of the like, ooh, sexy shelf to the, whoa, Mm -hmm. God created this tangible thing um, to show us who he is and 
everybody needs to understand that in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited to read it. Like this is really the first book on mixed orientation marriage that yeah. I think <laughs> has been published. It's true. And, it's so weird. Yeah. And it's so needed because I, I know so many people that are in mixed orientation marriages that kind of are like, where are resources and going, um, I know like one, um, one person I know in mixed orientation marriage, like always points people to like Francis Chan's book on marriage yeah, and stuff. Good. Yeah. Just because there's nothing really there. And so I'm really excited to see like what comes out of this. And honestly, it's like, I, I'm, I'm a hundred, I haven't even read it and I'm a hundred percent sure that, that like not even mixed orientation, mar people in mixed orientation marriage can get stuff from this, but straight cup, like straight couples, you know, single people, yeah. as you were saying, because right. there's so, like you said, when we can take sex off the table is not this thing <laughs> to be yeah. held up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I think so much difference can be made. And when does your book come out again? October 27. So we bumped it up a week. It was November 3, which is election day. And that seemed like a bad choice. So yeah, we probably, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's October 27. And if you pre-order it, which we are ramping into launch week, September 9 is the last day to sign up for our launch team, which you get a bunch of free stuff. If you just help us get the word out, I mean like so much to mm. us to having people care. It's just so great to not be alone. And I keep telling everyone, I have one goal. All I want to get, I want to get the word out and I want fruit to be produced. But the other like tangible goals, I really would love an audible contract. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you doing the audio? I mean, you have a podcast. I have zero control over that, but you guys have control mm. of that. Because the more oh, people, yeah. the more pre-orders, the more it tells the audible people or whomever is the contract to say, oh, we need to get an audio book for this. So if you do it, that's like, yes, fruit produce, please, God, advance kingdom of God, um, heal people's hearts and minds and bodies. But also, I don't but know. The I'd heart like, of a podcaster, I need an audiobook. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Oh, that's, I, I, I support that. Y'all, if you're listening, go over and pre order Lori and Matt's book. Um, impossiblemarriage.com you can find a bunch of places to do that so yeah go ahead yeah absolutely go ahead pre-order it support it this is going to be a book you are going to want to read and help Lori get to her audiobook we're <laughs> we're going there <laughs> thank you appreciate it <laughs> all right y'all well that is it for today we so enjoyed having Lori on the podcast. As a reminder, go over to impossiblemarriage.com, pre-order her book, join the launch team, get her that audible contract. Come on, guys, we can do it. And also, if you love hearing from Lori, go over to her podcast. Hole in My Heart Ministries podcast is great. It is consistently on my podcast listen list. So go over there and take a listen. And with that, we will talk to you in our next episode. Bye, everyone.